Hey y'all, and welcome to The Hill Podcast. We're so glad that you could join us today. We pray that this podcast will encourage you, will deepen your faith, and will inspire you to make Jesus famous. Let's dive into the message. Well, I got the honor and privilege to share on the cross. And let me tell you, this week has been a roller coaster of emotions for me. As I've studied and as I've read the four Gospels of what happened during Passion Week. And we all know this. We've all heard the story of the cross. But when you get into it, you start seeing. I pulled up pictures of the crucifixion of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And it became a reality to me. I'm not kidding you, church. There were days I were so excited, happy, joyful, But then there was days as I looked at what our Lord and Savior went through that broke my heart and brought me to tears. So let me try to the best of my ability to bring the cross to you and bring justice to the cross. You know, your only hope for joy, your only hope for peace, your only hope for strength and love in this life is simply found at the cross of Jesus Christ. That is our only hope. Our hope of love, peace, joy is dependent. Is dependent on what I saw this week in so many different pictures of the, br- of the brutal, bloody, humiliating death of a man on a cross. The only hope that we have The cross crucifixion, we could go into the how horrible it was, and it was uh, the most brutal, shameful, and gruesome death that a person could go through back in the first century. In Psalms 45, Isaiah 53, the suffering servant, they spoke of the cross long, long before it ever entered into the mind of somebody who would come up with this horrid way of execution and it blows my mind that scripture foretold what our savior would go through it amazes me you know first uh, corinthians 118 i want to read this to you for the word of the cross is foolishness it doesn't make sense to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Let me give you an example, church. You know, let's admit it. If you're not being pulled by the Holy Spirit, a lot of this doesn't make sense. It's crazy to Americans. Take, for instance, uh, the fine, successful businessman who has a wonderful family, a new home, a great job, and a really cool car. (laughs) And then you take the free-thinking, independent woman who trusts in her own free-thinking, totally independent of herself, and in her heart and mind without need for God. You take these two people outside the city dump, where in, a black, in, in the back alley, 
Now think about this. Get this in your mind's eye. In the back alley is a naked man hanging on a tree covered in his own blood. Then you tell that man and that woman that their only hope, that their only hope in this life is believing the man that they're looking at is God. <laughs> That's foolishness. That's foolishness to the normal mind. And their eternity depends and rests on that man that's hanging on that tree. Telling these people that you're going to have to submit, submit to him as your judge, master, and Lord. Let me tell you, church, that man and woman would laugh, would shake their head, and walk away, not believing anything the picture that they see of that man on a tree could ever be their hope. <laughs> but listen, church, when uh, that man and woman would laugh. So many in the world look at the cross and see folly. And the Webster defines that as foolishness. They see folly. When you and I that have come to the cross and we've realized there's hope and victory in the cross, it becomes forgiveness for us, church. Forgiveness. We see the power of the cross, the authority of the cross, but we only see it because of the mercy and the grace of our Heavenly Father that has called you by name. The Bible tells me, as I said, no man or woman comes to the Father unless the Spirit draws him, church. So know this, you are special. If you've said yes to the cross, if you believe what the Bible says, and you've asked him into your heart, God was calling your name. He was drawing you. The problem is the Holy Spirit will draw people. He will draw you from conviction. You will walk to the cross. But all of a sudden, as you look at the cross, the suffering of the cross, we start to think about what it's going to cost me. What am I going to have to do? How am I going to have to change? And we seem to start taking a few steps back from the cross until finally it's just too much for me. And we walk away from the cross. We walk away from the cross. As we look at the cross today, uh, I want us to see three points. The purpose of the cross, the people of the cross, and finally the position of the cross. Let's look at the purpose of the cross. It was literally to fulfill God's plan. To fulfill his plan. Think about this. At the beginning of time, God the Father, Jesus, the Holy Spirit... <laughs> They're planning out the universe. They're putting the moon in its place. The earth where it belongs. All the orbits are coming into being. They're hanging the stars. And then God, the Heavenly Father, and Jesus start to have a conversation about the dilemma 
about the dilemma of one of his creations, someone who he was going to create in his own image, there was going to be a dilemma. God knew that Adam and Eve would screw up. <laughs> he would. They would. He knew it in the garden. He knew that Satan would tempt them beyond what they could take. And sin would enter into the world, knowing that mankind would be marked for eternal death and separation from God. And he could not stand the thought of this. Your God of the universe could not stand the thought of him being separated from Ricky, for him being separated from Larry. You could put your name in it. He loved us that much. He couldn't stand it. He couldn't stand it. He knew the wages of sin was death, Romans 6.23. He knew, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. He knew his creation as they went along. David wasn't going to live up to heaven. Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, would never live up to heaven. Because they were all with sin. So your precious heavenly Father and Jesus loved us so much. He said, we've got, we've got to come up with a plan. We have to come up with a plan. No man was free from the curse of sin. So here God and Jesus, they lay out this plan. And God says... Son, it's got to cost me something. It's got to cost me something greatly for me to redeem mankind, for me to build that gap that they will create because of sin. I've got to have a cost. And Jesus just simply spoke up and said, Father, I'll be the cost. I'll be the cost. I'll be the one that will come between the people you love and you. I will be the cost. I will bring them together. The cross, the cross, the cross. The purpose of the cross first was love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. <clears throat> the purpose of the cross was for relationship. Romans 5, 8 says, But God demonstrates his love towards us and that while we were yet screw-ups, <laughs> sinners, Christ died for us. Yeah. Relationship. As I said, he desired that relationship between you and him. But you know what? He also desired for you to have that relationship with each other. The cross goes both ways. It goes upward and it goes sideways. It's to him and to others. <coughs> the purpose of the cross was for freedom. Webster Dictionary defines it as the absence of slavery. John 8.36, so if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. He would free us 
from sin's bondage. <laughs> and then finally, eternity, the purpose of the cross. Has anybody ever been away from home for a certain amount of time? <laughs> And, and uh, you're just lonely to get home. I had went to California at a young age, was gone for about a month, and I remember I missed home so bad. I missed being in the presence of my father and my mother and even my brothers <laughs> and my sister. I missed home. And because of the cross, each one of us here I mean, we're just passing through, whether you believe it or not. We're aliens of this world. One day, whether by the grave or the, or the, the trumpet sound, we will be going home. Yes. And the only way home is through the cross. It's through the cross. Oh, my goodness. That excites me to know. Think about this, church. His darkest day was our brightest day. Praise God to the Father. The march to the cross started at Gethsemane. I'm going to start at Gethsemane. I'm going to finish at Gethsemane. Gethsemane means press or oil press, being pressed on all sides. Uh, Matthew 26, we're going to read verse 37 and 38, but before we do, Jesus took Peter, James, and John into the garden with him. He took all the disciples and left eight of them outside uh, the Mount of Olives, or outside the garden and took these three with him. These three were the ones he depended on that were with him all the time. And he asked them to stay up with him and pray. Did they do it? <laughs> no. They failed miserably. I got to thinking about... Uh, Jesus bringing them along, knowing they was going to fall asleep. <laughs> he even told them. He knew their spirit was willing, but he knew their flesh was weak. But the state that Jesus was in, which we'll see in a, here in a minute, all he wanted was to know that he had these three that were close. We need each other when we go through the things that bombard us on every side. Look at verse 37. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and distressed. Then he said to them, My soul deeply is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. Jesus was grieved to the point of death where he sweat drops of blood. He was in agony. I don't know if there's anybody in this room that has ever been through something to where it would keep you up at night. Your mind would be so filled with the what ifs, what might be, what can be, to where it keeps you up and almost haunts you at night. You can't eat. You can't sleep. None of this has happened yet. But it might when Jesus was in the garden and he was grieved deeply in his soul and in his mind. What he saw ahead of him wasn't going to be a might be, could be, but it was going to be a will be. Jesus knew 
knew what he was going to face. And he was deeply grieved to the point of death. And then verse 39, and when he went a little beyond them and fell on his face, prostrate, Jesus had prayed many times. We read throughout the scripture. But this was a different kind of prayer that our Lord and Savior prayed. He said, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. This cup, which we'll talk about here in just a little bit. But again, the grief and the distress. Jesus saw what was ahead of him. The physical abuse, the verbal abuse, the, the humiliation that he would face. First of all, before Caiaphas and, and the religious rulers, the ones that knew the scripture, that knew the prophecies, yet their jealousy, their greed pushed them to the point that they were making a plan, no matter what it cost, to get rid of this man that threatened who they were. And Jesus would stand before witnesses that would come in and lie about him, not saying anything true. But what I want you to see, Jesus said nothing. Matthew 26, verse 63, if we can go there first. But Jesus kept silent. And the high priest, Caiaphas, said to him, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. 64. Jesus said to him, Jesus speaks up here now. Said it, uh, you have said it yourself. Nevertheless, I tell you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of glory. What a monumental statement. Caiaphas says, tell me, because he had heard people calling him the Son of God. He says, tell me, point blank, because he knew this would literally seal his death. Tell me. Are you the Son of God? And Jesus' answer here, he said, you said it yourself. And I can just picture this. Nevertheless, I tell you, Caiaphas, I tell you, religious leaders, yes, I'm the Son of God. And one day you'll see and you'll know that I'm the Son of God. You will see me seated at the right hand of the Father. Oh, and more than that, Caiaphas, more than that, you religious people, you will see me coming in the clouds. You will see me coming in the clouds. And yes, every single one of you in this room will bow your knee before me and your tongue will confess that I am Lord. What power in the words of Jesus. Then the physical and verbal abuse before the Roman cohort. Think about this, church. That was 600 soldiers after Pilate gave the crowd in, gave in to the crowd. This cowardly man who knew that Jesus was innocent from his very being, knew 
what the Pharisees were trying to do. His wife even came to him and said, "Nothing. To, I, I've had a dream. Have nothing to do with this man. He's a good and righteous man. Yet, it didn't stop Pilate. It didn't stop Pilate. He had him beaten. Jesus was spat upon. His beard plucked out. Taken to the whipping post. Being used with a cat of nine tails. And I can go into all that. But every time that whipped hit his back and was pulled back, there was chunks of flesh that came with it. Chunks of flesh that came with it. At the same time, these guards, these Roman cohorts, 600 of them, stripped him naked, again spat on him. And I can see one over in the corner. They put a robe on him, and this guy's working as fast as he can with this crown of thorns. And he's laughing, he's laughing. He wants to make sure every two, three-inch thorn is pointed down. And he takes him over, he takes it over, not gently puts it on Jesus' head, but slams it on his head to where the blood starts to trickle down his face. Now Pilate's thinking, surely this will change their mind. So he brings him out and stands him before the people and says, here's your king. Here's your king. Maybe Pilate was expecting some kind of pity from these people. But he got no pity. All they saw and all they wanted was more blood. Exactly. Kill him. Crucify him. That's not enough. He was a bloody pulp, unrecognizable as a man. Then he was made to carry his own cross, the beam across his shoulders, up to Golgotha, the place of the skull. So weakened by the torture and the torment he had just been through, he kept falling. So they got Simon of Cyrene to finish carrying the cross. And as they got to Calvary, as they got to the hill and laid that beam down and Jesus on the beam and stretched out his arms and began to nail the spikes into his wrists and into his feet. And as they lifted him up, they lifted a man that was bloody and unrecognizable to those that were around. He not only foresaw his physical torment, but he felt, church, the loneliness of being forsaken by all, the people of the cross. He knew as he was in the garden, as he's playing this out in his mind, as he knows all this will be coming to pass, he knew one of his own. In just a few minutes, Judas would walk into the garden and break his heart. He would come up to him and seal his death with a kiss on the cheek. Judas would betray him. Oh, my goodness. His beloved Peter, here in just a few minutes in the garden, would stand up, would stand up to Malchus and cut off the man's ear protecting his Lord and Savior. 
Now remember, I mean, Peter was a man's man. But just think, within a few minutes of the arrest, all the disciples disappeared and hid. They all forsook him. This Peter, this same Peter, as Jesus stood before the disciples and asked, who do men say that I am? And some would say, well, you're, you're Elijah. You're John the Baptist that's come back to life. No, 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 not Peter. Peter was speaking from in here. He said, Jesus, I know the way I was at the Sea of Galilee when you came along and you called me. I know there was an emptiness inside me. I know I'm not the same man that I was on that lake shore. And when you called me and I chose to follow you, anger and bitterness, strife and jealousy, all those things seemed to flee. I feel clean inside. No, you're not Elijah. You're not John the Baptist. You are the Son of God. Wow. That same man who saw him heal the sick, blind eyes open, raise the dead. Can you imagine Peter's faith as he heard those words, Lazarus, come forth, how they must have leaped in his heart as Lazarus come hopping out of that tomb. <laughs> that same man would in just a few hours break Jesus' heart by denying him not once, but three times. What I love about our Heavenly Father, what I love about Jesus, is if Peter would have just tucked some of Jesus' words away for a time such as this, when he failed Jesus, when he denied him the third time and cursed, and the cock crowed, and he ran off and whipped bitterly, Jesus had told him earlier, what he was going to have to face. And Simon Peter said, there's no way you're going to have to go through. I'm not going to let you go through all that. And what did he tell him? Get ye behind me, Satan. But he said, Peter, Satan would want to sit you like wheat. But listen, powerful words that he could have tucked away. He said, Peter, know this. I am praying to the Father for you that when you are restored, that would have brought Peter hope. Because at this point in Peter's life, he was a shambles. He didn't get over it overnight. It was weeks before he finally got to the point where he could forgive himself for denying the Son of God. All these things played out in the mind of our Lord and Savior in the garden. Not that might happen, that would and did happen. But here's where I want you to stay with me. But the cup that Jesus asked to be taken away, it wasn't the pain that he knew he was going to face in the flesh. His back being ripped apart beaten beyond recognition. It wasn't even the loneliness being forsaken by those he loved, by, by the people 
of the city. No. The pain. The cup that he was talking about again is Matthew 26, 39. <clears throat> and he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed saying, My father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But not as I will, but as you will. Mark 14, 36, he says, And he was saying, Abba, Daddy, Father, all things are possible for you. And then he flat says, Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. He was saying, God, Father, God, Daddy, you have the power to take this away from me. But you have a plan. Let's stick with that plan. I've been through the pain and the humiliation. He had been through the pain and the humiliation, but the one thing, church, that was unbearable, the cup that he could not bear was the thought. After all these things, was the thought that once, actually I'm going to read uh, Matthew 27, 46. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eliah, Eliah, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He could not bear the thought of being separated. Number one, that the entire weight of sin, he who knew no sin, didn't know what sin felt like, had no idea what a lie was like, did not know what it felt like. But in this moment, all the sin of the world would pass from humanity into our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He would become sin who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So at that moment, church, at that moment, the thought of the weight of sin piercing through him and looking up to his father who had been there from the beginning of time had intimate fellowship with his father all the time. Even when he came to earth in a flesh body, he had that intimate fellowship with his daddy all the time. Now, the weight of sin has bore into his body. And as he looks up, as he looks up, desiring for his daddy to be there, to look down at him, he could see his father turn his back because he could not look upon sin. And he cries out, my God, why? Why have you forsaken me in this hour? And I guarantee you that our heavenly father in the passion of the Christ, you see a, a teardrop come down from heaven. I can see the heavenly father, heart, his heart being broken. And he'll simply... Telling Jesus, because I love Sherry, Father. Because I love Kurt. Because I love Lynn. Because I love you. That's why, my son. That's why. That's why. 
want you to watch this video. <coughs> Actually, I won't even say anything about it until we get it over with. Go ahead. commit my spirit. purpose of the cross, the people of the cross, 
finally, the position of the cross comes from conviction of the cross. Listen, church, having a conviction means that you are so thoroughly convinced that something is absolutely true that you take a stand for it, no matter what the consequences or the cost. You see, you will see that those at the cross, as well as those who will come to the cross, honestly, will put you in a position whether you will believe that the cross is truth. You'll, you'll be forced to do something about it. Whether you choose is up to you, but I love as he cried out, it is finished, and in my hands I commend thy spirit. In verse 51 of verse 27, the glory after the crucifixion. The first thing that happened was the veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom, giving us access. God was saying, because of what I've just done, we, ordinary people, not the Son of God, not angels, but ordinary people, we have access to the throne room of God. We're able to intimately come before him and speak to him. And the sad thing is very few of us do it when it's available to us. So the temple was torn, or the, the veil was torn in two. The earth shook so violently that the rocks split apart. And I love verse 52, the tombs were open and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. They didn't come out of the grave, not until Jesus came out of the grave. Can you imagine what it was like in Jerusalem when you had Grandpa Saint, Uncle Saint, all these saints walking around Jerusalem that had been dead for years. I guarantee you, you had a revival or you had a bad case of fear. <laughs> And then, what I want to close on, if Jonathan would come up, is verse 54. Now the centurion and those who were with him, keeping guard over Jesus, when they saw the earthquake and the things that were happening, became very frightened and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. The very same guards that were part of the mockery and the beating at the platorium, the same guard, the same centurion, maybe one of them was the one that made the crown of thorns. But these same guards who had spat upon him, made fun of him and mocked him, the centurion himself, I can imagine at this point, he remembers as he's cast in lots for the garment of Jesus. And out of one ear he could hear as they placed Jesus on the cross. Father, forgive them. For they know not what they're doing. This guard, this centurion, he hears those words. I imagine during the whole scene, as Jesus is placed between the two thieves, and they both mocked him at first, but one of them finally realizes because what he has seen and what he has heard from Jesus' mouth on the cross, he asked him, he said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus told him, today 
you will be with me in paradise. All these things were bombarding the centurion, these guards. Now all of a sudden, it's darkness over the land while Jesus was on the cross. And then the earth shakes violently. These same guards who had literally nailed him to the cross. Can you imagine as they're walking or actually probably running out of there wanting what have we done? What have we done? Truly this must have been the Son of God. It doesn't say but I wonder how that day on the cross impacted their life for the rest of the time. And then the last group of people Luke 23, 48, and all the crowds who came together for this spectacle, when they, when they observed what had happened, began to return, beating their breasts. Listen, these were the same people that held him as he came into the city, that was praising him for all the things he had done. They were the same people who demanded his blood, who yelled out, crucify him. The same people that walked in front of the cross and mocked him. Mocked him. And at this point, after everything they heard, after everything they saw, they went away beating their breast. Think about this, church. They knew. They knew they had just killed the Son of God. I truly believe in my heart and in my mind, some of those people left Golgotha truly changed, believing that Jesus was the Son. Those same people were probably some of the same people that started the first church. I close with these words again. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Would you all bow your heads with me just a second? The position of the cross tells me that we have to make a choice. We've read about it. We've seen movies about it. We hear about it every Sunday that we come in here. But you would be surprised how many people that will enter into a church building that have still never come to the cross. They've come up to the cross. They got a sight of the cross, but felt like it would cost them too much. Listen, church, today is the day of salvation, the Word says. Let me ask you this question. If you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if Jesus was to come back today, you know, you know that you know that you know you've been to the cross, you received what happened at the cross. If you know you would be in heaven, would you raise your hand with me? If you know you're going to heaven, <laughs> praise God. Those that couldn't raise their hand, you know, God doesn't give us the chance 
when it comes to our last breath. We have to make that choice now. And if you're at that point and you want to ask him into your life, knowing and seeing what he did for you, that it was not in vain because it cost him greatly. But he says, you are worth the cost. If you've never asked him into your heart, let's pray this prayer as a church. Dear Father, we just come to you now in the name of Jesus. And I ask you, Father, in Jesus' name, to forgive me. Forgive me where I fail you. Forgive me for the sin in my life. I know, Lord, beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus cleansed us with his blood. And when you look at me, you see me through the blood of your son. I ask you to come into my heart, Jesus, and be my savior. Live my life. Help me to be the example you've called me to be. I give my life to you. And I thank you for the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, would you lift your hand? I'm going to ask you to come forward. If you prayed that prayer out of faith, anybody at all? All right. Sounds good. Looks like we're all headed to the same place. <laughs> Praise you, Lord. Jonathan, let's see. Uh, no longer a slave to sin as we close out. Get ready to leave. Hey guys, don't click out just yet. We're so excited that you could join us today. Don't forget to like and share this message. And also, subscribe to our podcast channel so that the latest message is always waiting on you. If this ministry has had an impact on your life, we would love to connect with you via social media on Instagram and Facebook. We would also love to see you in person at one of our many locations. For service times and locations or to give to this ministry, you can download our app or visit us online at www.thehill.us. We can't wait to hear from you and all that God is doing in your life. Have a blessed week, and we'll see you next time right here on The Hill Podcast.